HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Domain. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. For more information, visit DomainStorage.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is the show that brings you some of the most interesting personalities in the field of beverage. We have winemakers, we have sommeliers, mixologists, bartenders, brewers, distillers. We have them all here. Um, and today we have a uh, very special show. Uh, we have a friend of mine, uh, Oscar Bink, from uh, Herman J. Weimer Winery up in the Finger Lakes. Uh, before we get started, though, I do want to invite everyone to Alta Linea. We just opened last night uh, for the summer. It's our outdoor restaurant up in the Highline Hotel. We'll be pouring frozen Negronis, a frozen Scropino, which is an Italian cocktail, um, um, that I've worked with Kelvin Slush to create uh, that has Prosecco, it has vodka, it has uh, good organic limoncello. Uh, it is very refreshing. Uh, if you are listening to this live here in New York, it's probably the last thing you want to think of today. But I promise you one day the sun will return and the frozen Scorpino will be something that will be refreshing and will hit the spot for you. Uh, uh, we also have a new time for In the Drink. We're now, uh, we're now taping at 11 a.m. For those few of you who are diehards and listen to us live, I apologize for the late start today. Uh, it is my fault entirely. Uh, but we've moved to a later time simply so that I could eat at Roberta's for lunch more frequently. That's the only reason. Um, okay, so we have Oscar Bink today, the co-owner and uh, manager over at Herman J. Beamer Winery in the Finger Lakes. This winery I visited with uh, my girlfriend Alyssa last year, and uh, it's an absolutely beautiful winery making world-class, and I don't say that lightly, world-class wines that uh, should be all over the world in great restaurants. We have them over at Le Picho. I love these wines, and I'm so excited to welcome Oscar here. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. It's great. 
Uh, you know, Oscar, I, I guess we, I would like to give everyone an idea of the, the Finger Lakes. I think that um, I, I know that until I had visited, it was actually the first wine region I ever visited when I was a little a little kid. And I, my first taste of wine was a uh, an ice wine. Um, but uh, it was really eye-opening for me to get there, to to see the, fake, the, the effect that the lakes have on the wineries, um, the incredible viticulture that, that you guys have, uh, and just to understand understand that this really is a world-class wine-growing region. I think that sometimes in New York, we really look towards Europe and increasingly towards California for world-class wine. But just, just upstate, uh, we have some pretty amazing wine. Yeah, and it's becoming, I think it's becoming more and more on people's uh, wine radar, uh, world-class. But it's, uh, we also have to think we're a young region. We're young. We've only really been growing viniferas for about 40 years. So we're still exploring and learning and figuring things out. But over the, last, uh, over the last 10 years, I think, our Rieslings have really been, been putting on the world stage, which is very exciting. Prior to four, 40 years ago, it was mostly Labrusca or hybrids between Vinifera and Labrusca? That's right. That's right. It's actually a very long history of grape growing in the Finger Lakes. Uh, but yeah, just 40, 50 years ago, they started to experiment with Viniferous. Right. And it, is it fair to say that both Herman Riemer and Dr. Constantine Frank were real pioneers in bringing vinifera to, to they this They are the ones, yeah, that's right. They are the ones who's considered to be the, the pioneers for this more fine wine movement. And uh, uh, Dr. Frank had a background in, in uh, winemaking and Herman came from, from Germany. And uh, if you look at the uh, with the culture practices and the climates, Finger Lakes is very similar to those latitudes. So therefore, by default, you started to see Rieslings coming in. And Riesling as a, as a vine is very cold-hardy also. So it deals with our, our cold winters up there very well. So Yeah, and I imagine also the effect that uh, water has on, uh, on growing grapes and viticulture. Because in a lot of German Rieslings, like the Mosul... The Naha, you see that if you are too far away from the water, you don't have that moderating effect any longer. So probably that understanding of uh, of the effects that water has on moderating vineyards is important. Absolutely, and and that is one of the main reasons, if not the reason, why we can grow grapes up in the Finger Lakes. So Finger Lakes, we'll go a little Finger Lakes one hundred and one. That would be great. Yeah, <laughs> so, let's, so let's take it. If you just look at a map, we're about. We're about four and a half, five hours drive northwest of, 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 of New York City. I say usually it's the same time it takes to go to Long Island. The thing is, it's like your car is moving when you go upstate, <laughs> trying to promote the region. Here. Maybe the same as if you're going to Montauk. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But you sit in traffic when you go east, you know, that's why. But um, so what happened is that you have these lakes up there, and um, they are called finger lakes because they are looking like a hand, you know, long, long, narrow lakes. And uh, the main lake, which is Seneca Lake, which is the big lake in the middle, it's almost um, 600 to 700 feet deep. And what happens when it's one of the deepest lakes in America, and what happens when it's so deep that it won't freeze over during the winters. So the body of water will be pretty, pretty constant in temperature, and therefore it will then heat up the areas around it, the edges on the lake in the winter, but also cool down in the summer. So it will moderate the climate both in the, in the summer and in the winter, 
and definitely also in the spring when we have potential frost damage. So when we get these, uh, when we get these nights when it's minus 10 Fahrenheit, the lake will then warm up the edges, so the air exchange from the lake will moderate. So that's, it. that's the, actually the main reason why viniferous, the, the vinifera grape, can survive up there. Mm-hmm. So you're right, if we would have grown these Rieslings in Chardonnay, maybe a mile up on the hills, they will not survive the winter. Yeah. So, so are most of the high quality, I know all of the vineyards that I visited on my last trip were all around Seneca Lake on, yeah. bo- on both sides. Would you consider that sort of the, the primary area for quality wine there or uh, does each lake kind of offer its different benefits? Well, well uh, if you look at just the consistency, so since Seneca Lake is the deepest, there will be, the, the Seneca Lake will protect more than the other lakes. That doesn't mean that's not good vineyard sites on the other lakes also. Mm-hmm. If you look at Cuca Lake and Cayuga Lake, there's some nice sites there also. But there is a little challenge that they might not have the same protection in the winter. So yeah. you might have the frost that's too cold and some damage that would affect the next vintage. That's right. That's right. So, so you would see over time more and more of the plantings are happening around Seneca Lake. Is it is it accurate that these are? This is something I'm, I think I'm re- remembering correctly. That these lakes were created by glacial movements. Well, I think it, yes, yes, and no. I think there's right. a little misunderstanding. Okay, uh, uh, because right. uh, yeah, they're created yes by, but they're not carved out mm. by the ice. You know, if you look at how the glaciers moved north, they uh, how, when they melted, they. The rivers and such created underneath the ice and left deposits. So before there were very, there were deep valleys, and then they just left, created uh, deltas or, you know, you kind of plug the ends of the valleys and then they filled up with water. Okay. So that's really how it is. So they are created by the, when the ice were receding back, when they, all these deposits got left. But the left. ice wasn't. Was not carving was out seven hundred big boulders, seven hundred feet, feet deep. That, yeah. That's right. Okay. That's right. Has that affected the soil geology? Oh, absolutely. Okay. It's a, if you look at, and that's what's pretty neat about Finger Lakes today. We're still figuring out where to plant it the best, where the where the different varieties will suit the best. And 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 uh, if you look at, if you go to Seneca Lake and you look over the the edges of the lake, you'll see it's a mosaic of different soils. So in some places there's Riesling, some places there's Cabernet Franc, sometimes there's corn, and then some places there's pine trees because of how these soils were, were kind of created when the ice melted. So you have different deposits. Some, there's deep soils, there's very shallow soils where you have the shale bedrock is almost close to the surface. So that makes it also extremely interesting to grow different varieties because you have different characters coming. You, know, you said, uh, I'm not sure if this was you or your partner, Fred, who said in a Huffington Post interview, I want to ask you about this because it's a little confusing to me. Oh, you no. said, uh, great wine regions have established the vineyard as the number one priority and the person producing the wine is second. Our region is unique because site selection and matching the variety to the site comes second to growing great grapes. Uh, that sounds like it's... That's that, that Fred? Let's that, that, blame it on Fred. That okay, let's blame it on But explain... No, 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 but I think you're saying... There must have been a misquote, but you could vineyards and vineyards management and site selection goes hand in hand. Goes hand in hand, Yeah, okay. so that was... I think that didn't just... 
Huff po. Oh. <laughs> no, no, so explain it then was late uh, in the interview probably. about uh, <laughs> uh, what soils you would plant grapes on, and then what, even if it's close enough to the lake and a good pitch, like you kind of relegate those to corn and other crops. How do, how do you how do you figure that out? Well, it takes so much time. It takes so much time, and what you, I mean, it's a long, long, long process. So when Herman started to plant in the early seventies, he started to plant many different varieties, different kinds of soils. There's shallow soils, there's deep soils, there's, there's locations with more or less lake effect. And if you have a little less lake effect, you have to have cold-hardy varieties. And if you have vigorous soils with a lot of lake effect, you tend to need to manage it differently, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et so there's, there's so many, many variables that we, like if you look at our winery, we have one cooler site in the south, and then a little warmer site, or a riper site, I should say. More lake effect, uh, a little more growing degree days. It starts a little earlier. We're able to pick a little later there also. So there, up there, we will then have our red varieties. We will get the Riesling get into higher sugar levels. That doesn't mean that the cooler site is of lesser quality, because the cooler site sits on very shallow soils. Mm-hmm. So you have these just shale shale bedrock which is the, the grapes we get from there tend to have a little higher acidity they're a little tighter and and the wine then having that those kinds of characters tend to be a good building block in in our blends of riesling so it depends what you do with it what you want to do with your sites and what you do with your wines so um but ultimately it goes to where they survive and where they also can produce quality and so, so you've tended to focus on more drier style of yeah. of rieslings. Yeah. Is that uh, why? Why is that? Uh, is that uh, something that you felt was most uh, accurate and best represents that area, or is that because you felt like those were the ones that had historically been made at Herman Wiemer and should continue in that tradition? Uh, both. Okay. Both. I mean, we're interested in dry wine, and and I think these drier drier styles of riesling represent the region best and 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 uh but we also make some off dry wines which is of of, of, of good They're quality delicious, but but, yeah. the, but herman actually introduced he says that i mean he said he tells a lot of tales herman's he's funny he's funny but uh he actually was one of the first or if not the first to introduce dry on the label mm. and he did that now in the late uh, early 80s which then perception of riesling was only sweet right so we have always made a point to make a dry style of riesling yeah Okay, so very important uh, marker in the 70s for this introduction of vinifera. Have there been other important, if you were to write the timeline of the Finger Lakes, what are the other important things that kind of stick out to you that uh, if you're telling the story of, of uh, Finger Lakes wines? Of, I mean, you, you have uh, then now in the, in the 70s and, and 80s where the first viniferas got planted. Uh, I also think... If you look, I mean, it's not a lot long time ago. If you look then just 10, 20, 20 or 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you, you have this maybe new, new generation coming in and trying to figure things out where we're able to replant things. And now we have another session of that now where you have, where we've brought the winery or the, vin, or the region to a, another stage mm-hmm. where there's a little more pressure on us to perform High high quality, right? And you have uh, the wine community is is 
keeping an eye on us. So I think this, it's just, I, don't, I, I mean, we're still so early. So I don't think there's been any big milestones just yet. I think actually nowish is the is the next milestone from the seventies right. where we are able to well, revisit you're, you're and, early and, and reevaluate things. In terms of world class wine regions, most of them are more than forty years old, right? But now there's this opportunity to uh, to share information so easily. I'm sure that you're, you're very friendly with uh, winemakers and growers and winery owners from all over the world and to travel. Uh, I feel like that must speed things up in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our curve is uh, exponentially. You know, we are obviously traveling much more. We have access to information. We have a little bit more analytical approach to things and we're not necessarily stuck in our ways. So you absolutely, absolutely. We just just last uh, last week, two weeks ago, our our distributor, which is Skernik here, they have set up they set up in both Champagne and Germany for our assistant winemaker to tour there, and he got exposed to all these things, and then he comes back and tells about it. And, and so many ideas. Like, yeah, uh-huh. it, it's great. It, it's uh, absolutely so. The information flow is really helping the development. Oh, that's yep. great. And I want to just go back to one thing you, you said in the previous response about how you're, it's, it, you're seeing a lot of replanting now. Are people replanting in order to have more vine density or is it higher quality rootstocks or what, 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 what are you seeing that's being replanted? Um, both. Okay. both. Yeah. So uh, what happens is that – so there's a lot of development going on. I mean we're finally seeing that we – if the quality increases, we can actually – it's not so romantic, but we can get paid for it, you know, when, when the value of our efforts you can get paid for. And therefore, the incentive to start making higher quality wines is there. So then there comes with dense planting, too. We have actually, uh, 10 years ago now, we had one site. We've gone from twelve to 1,300 plants per acre to 2,500 plants per acre. And we turned it east west instead of Mm north-south to take advantage of the airflow of of the lake and instead of promoting sun exposure you're promoting a drier vineyard site with with looser clusters because it densely planted and uh, therefore we see we we compensate then the lack of sun to hang time so we get actually a riper riper presentation of those grapes with less sun because it's incredible so so all these things are but it's they're happening now we are just this is the third year we second year we have that wine in the market Mm -hmm. so yes it's happening uh uh again everything is slow everything is slow but it's absolutely i think everything's slow and then you get one year you know you only find out at the end (laughs) of the year and then some aging that's if you made the right decision that's right but overall uh since Again, going back to the history of the region where we have hybrids, and a hybrid uh, vine tends to be much more vigorous than a vinifera, right? So then the spacing between hybrid vines could be up to eight feet because they carry much more fruit, Mm -hmm. and they could carry so much more fruit, right? So the culture of managing hybrid vineyards are still in people's ways because the growers are still both having hybrid grapes, and still today... I don't know the exact number, but I think it's two-thirds or even more. It's still hybrid grapes out there. There's still a market, wow. big market for it, because you have uh, all kinds of wines are being made from hybrid grapes. Uh, but you might not get exposed to it so much here in, in, in culinary centers, if you put it that way. But 
so what ha what's happening is that initially when they started to plant vinifras, even our original vineyard sites uh, are planted where with five six, or six feet. And then it's just as we learn to keep yields in check, you go denser and denser and mm -hmm. denser. But uh, the other aspect is you can't do too dense either because you need to manage it. It's costly to manage. Uh, you have to... Right, it's twice as much work when you have twice as many. I mean, maybe right. not exactly twice no, as much. No, but you're right, you're right. So there's a, there's a balance there too. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, we're going to denser. Great. Yeah. All right, on that note, I think we're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back with more of Oscar Binka of Herman J. Wiemer Winery from the Finger Lakes. Domain offers discrete and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. Since 2003, they've focused on making collecting easier and more enjoyable. With over 1.5 million bottles in storage across five facilities, Domain is the largest network of wine storage warehouses in the country. Warehouses are located in Chicago, St. Louis, Metro New York, Napa, and Washington, D.C., with refrigerated shipment hubs in dozens of cities. Their service also extends to the home collector. In the last decade, the team has organized and inventoried more than 1.7 million bottles in home sellers across the globe. Recently, Domain has launched a marketplace where clients can buy and sell wine. Trading in the network ensures that wines are stored at Domain facilities and commissions are the lowest in the industry. Go to DomainStorage.com to complete an online questionnaire, and someone will get back to you within one business day. The one and only Dave Arnold brings the noise to Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday on Cooking Issues. Coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick and Brooklyn! <laughs> If the bomb was going to drop and you only had 15 minutes, which is like, I can, I can make a sandwich in 15 minutes. He would be eating a sandwich. I'd kiss my wife, make a sandwich. If you believe that it's all about to be over, why eat healthy? I'm not a freaking Neanderthal. I like a tempered ice cream sandwich. But it's the only way to get around it if you're a party master because you, you're going to wind up, like your kitchen's going to fill with dishes. And Some there... people have commercial dishwashers in their house. Who? I've seen them. Who? I've seen them. Who? <laughs> really rich people. <laughs> For more mile-a-minute knowledge from Dave and the crew, listen to Cooking Issues, available on Heritage Radio Network, iTunes, and Stitcher. All right, we're back on In the Drink. Uh, Joe Campanelli, your host here with Oscar Binka of Herman J. Wiemer Winery from the Finger Lakes, uh, one of my absolute favorite uh, New York wineries. Uh, you can find these wines at Lepicho and uh, many other fantastic restaurants and uh, retail stores across New York. Um, 
I mean, I, you know, something that uh, has come up with a few, it's kind of a, a topic that people think about with high quality wines where there's no uh, successor to the uh, to the winery. These are uh, happens with wines that that people really really love, and I, f- I find this more frequently in Europe than than here in the states. But you find someone who's dedicated their life, gotten behind a cause. Um, some notable producers in the Rhone Valley, um, in Barolo, I can think of some, and there, there's no successor, and you wonder what's what's going to happen uh, to it. And it seems like your story is just like the ideal situation for uh, if a winemaker has, has no obvious successor, how is the next, how is someone going to carry on with, with the story? So I don't know if everyone knows how, uh, how you and Fred came about uh, owning uh, Herman Wiemer Winery. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit. I know it's a story you've told many times. Um, and then uh, it sounds like you're, you're still constantly in contact with him. And if you could tell us uh, what, what your relationship's yeah, like no, till today. Well, well, thank you for that. I, I'm glad that you are noticing that it was at least on the surface, a smooth transition. <laughs> but, but we did. So the history, a little bit, go back to, to Herman. He is, um, you know, he lived up there often, often by himself. I don't know if you've met Herman, but he's a uh, he's funny, funny guy. He's, he's charming and, and got a great sense of humor. But he, he, um, he had a lot of girlfriends. Never got married, but he had a lot of girlfriends. But they, he always made fun of it. They come in the spring and then they... The snow fell, and then they ran away. So he never, he never had a family to to take care of it. But um, in early well, 2003, uh, Fred, uh, Fred and I actually we met at school. We went to Cornell University, and last day of school, Fred and I met. The last day of school. Last day of school, yeah. we got hired by one of these internet companies, which lasted a couple of months because it was in 2000, so everything crashed. Uh, but uh, we got hired, and we were both into wine. I had taken every wine course there was at, at Cornell, and, and Fred really, really loved it. So after that, we said, okay, we're going to get into the wine business. I went down here to New York City. Mm-hmm. I got a job uh, uh, peddling uh, Fortissimo on Staten Island. It was, it was great. It was what was that like? <laughs> it was great. It was funny. It was funny. It's for another day. It's okay. a, I have a lot of stories about that. And then Fred actually just called Herman, and he said, you know what? I want to I wanna actually go to Germany. Do you have any connections in Germany uh, and Herman said no but you can work here uh, so uh, Fred started there in 2003 and I think the second day Fred started there the Herman's current winemaker left so there was Herman and Fred left there and then uh, a couple of years later Fred called me and said you know could you come up and help out here a little bit and and, and Fred and I have always drank Herman wines we we were in college up there because Cornell University is in the Finger Lakes, so, so we knew. Forty five minutes. That's from right. Seneca, that's right. Yeah. So we, we knew, we knew the winery well. And then I came up. I did an internship, you know, we uh, worked in the cellar and worked in the nursery uh, a lot. And uh, Fred and I got closer and closer together. And and and, and Herman also. And, and then I went back to the city. My my wife uh, was where still here there in New York City. So. And then uh, time went on, and um, Herman wanted to figure out how to retire. Uh, and he had a lot of faith in, in Fred, because Fred had then made wine for, for almost five years there. Had worked with him for five years, side yeah. by side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so the, we, we sat down, and during almost 
years years talk we arranged so so I could move up Fred take charge of the winemaking and and then Herman would work as a mentor next to us and and Herman had a lot of what happened is that Herman had a lot of a lot of ideas you know being like he he would just he was at it all the time and and he had a lot of ideas Fred had worked with him with those ideas, but he also got a little older, Herman, so he wanted, he never really initiated them. So it was a good transition where the, we were two young guys that could just go ahead and go go at it. If it was replantings or, or viticulture practices, etc., etc. So we took over, and we were extremely nervous, you know, in 06, 07, when the whole winery is the name of the winery. Everyone talks about Herman, 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 and then two younger guys are going to run this. So so there was a lot of pressure. But uh, again, uh, Fred, who's the current winemaker, I mean, he, he's, you will, you will, he's, he's enormous. I mean, he has uh, both talent and work ethics like no one else. Oh, and, so, and smart. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So, 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 and then Herman initially was nervous also because we, you know, this is his name and we're trying to make a smooth transition here. Uh, but after many years, uh, after a couple of years, you know, the quality actually, even he admits now, the quality has increased. So, so, so uh-huh. he's fine. So now he's, he's very confident in what we're doing. And, uh, and uh, now he sees that we're spearheading a lot of the good initiatives for the region. And uh, but so he's, you know, he remains a good friend. He's not really practically involved anymore more emotionally sometimes when mm-hmm. we do events in the city or if we go to a nice restaurant he'll come along <laughs> but yeah it was uh, wasn't a bumpy ride i think we we handled it quite well but it was it was a little intense it seems like just the perfect <laughs> transition someone who yeah. worked there for five years yeah. and fred and then i know you for for some time were also yeah. like on the weekends going up that's and, right, that's and right. helping out how did your wife feel when you said honey i'd like to move to the finger well she 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 works a lot too so she might not have noticed. No, <laughs> no. She she actually when I went up and down, she came along a few times, and uh, and then she actually went to did a PhD in Oxford also. So so I had some time to go up and down. So okay, yeah, and then was, for the move as well. It, yeah, for just... the move. So uh, today we're actually my wife works at the UN here in the oh, city. Oh wow! Okay. So we go back and forth still a little quite bit. a bit. Yeah, yeah. No we, wonder you. We do. So that's why you see me in town every now and then also. That's great. What yeah. she, I know this is about her, but what does she do at the UN? That's so cool. So, no, she is, uh, she's actually one of the, one of the advisors on within transitional justice. She's a very, very right person. She knows a lot of things. She, so, yeah. she <laughs> so, sounds intimidatingly smart. That's right. Wow. Incredible. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's what she does. Well, and congratulations on the new baby. That, thank you very much. Yeah, it must she's be a year or two. Yeah, two. She's 20 months. Incredible. So, yeah. Incredible. Um, <laughs> let's, let's finish off with uh, talking about some of the projects that you're working on currently for the future of uh, Herman Beamer. I know I feel like every time I talk to you, you have something really cool going on to <laughs> improve quality, to work on a new wine, uh, plants a little bit more. What, what's going on right now? Well, it's a lot of things, a lot of things. I mean, if you look at them on the nursery side, which is actually exciting. We didn't talk so much about the nursery here today, but no, we right. do, we do, uh, we graft a lot of, that Herman's background is actually within nursery. So uh, uh, we graft a lot, and it's a commercial nursery, so we graft vines for many wineries around the country. Um, that is a, so we're spearheading uh, 
some projects there that we work with Cornell also to get in new material, the new vines that has not been here before. We're testing, you know, that maybe come from Neustadt or Geisenheim that sits in quarantine and then in order to get the right material budwood and things like that. So that's a, that's a great, it's a long, long, long-term project. But that's happening there. On the vineyard sites, we are moving along as much as we can towards, you know, very resourceful and sustainable and organic mm-hmm. practices. We have a little lot that we run by dynamically. Since 10 years back, we've completely eliminated the herbicides. So we work with cover crop we are now, this year, Fred's mother is making insectary to promote insects and, and beneficials to the vineyards. Uh, we are, so there's a lot of those things that's going on. Uh, in the winery, what I would say the biggest focus is really to capture nuances in the vineyards. So we've gone from harvesting big lots to, to smaller lots and then try to keep track on them, mm-hmm. and then to capture where the qualities are in the vineyards. And that has, uh, that has uh, changed a lot, changed the way we make wine. Will you lot. be uh, bottling those lots uh, individually? Or? We, are, we are doing that, some of them. Some okay. of them, HJW and Magdalena, are those lots. But even within, you know, when we... So if we have a Riesling bottle, you know, like a regular dry Riesling... That is coming from maybe 50 different pickings, from, from 20 different tanks. So we just start separating qualities, uh, which then is rather eye-opening on where, where things come from and how then the, the grapes reflect from the soil. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's something that we always continue working on. We're also working uh, on the yeast strains. So we, we've just gone spontaneous yeast since 2006 also and Cornell is doing some research and wondering what kind of strains are there and it seems to be 13 to 14 different uh, specific strains that are naturally occurring there so in your but, winery specifically yeah, or across the finger lakes, no you know? in the winery okay, in the yeah. vineyard so so there's all these Great. things going on uh, but uh We'll see. Hopefully it's good results. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's a great place to visit. I, I really encourage everyone to go uh, and drive the four or five hours up to that's the figure. Right, it's a beautiful right. drive. You're not on the Long Island it, Expressway. It, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It, it's, it's gorgeous up there. And it's not only wineries today. You know, you have breweries. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's ciders. Distiller, and, and, great and distiller distiller, out there. Distiller, of course. Finger Lakes Distiller is great. And, and also what's happening in the infrastructure around the tourist industry is coming along. So hotels, restaurants, you know, in the Geneva, which is town or north in Seneca Lake, they just announced the other day that they're going to shut down their main street on Saturdays and there's going to be kind of street parties and stuff like that. So Pretty everyone's, cool. yeah, it's so much, so much exciting things happening. It's, it's great. Pretty I'm so cool. excited about it. All right, Oscar, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, and that was Oscar Bink of Herman Wiemer Winery up in the Finger Lakes. Outstanding wines. I just love them so much. Uh, all right. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. I also want to thank uh, Jack Inslee, uh, Aaron Fairbanks, and David Tattashore from uh, Heritage Radio Network. You guys are awesome. And the rest of the team at HRN, thanks for everything you guys do. And thanks to all the listeners for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.